Welcome to OB Wannabes, an educational podcast about obstetrics and gynecology and women's health for medical students and women's healthcare providers. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of OB Wannabes, our third episode. And we're talking about what makes up a well woman visit. So I'm Cassie McDiarmid, one of your hosts. And I'm Shelby Feliciano. We're excited to talk about this topic today, something that's such an important staple, I think, of um, gynecology and what we will be doing or as OBGYNs. So first off, like, what is a well woman visit? So these are the uh, preventive health services for women um, where you're going to be managing reproductive health care and also looking at the overall health and primary care for uh, your patients. Usually we'll do your screenings for breast and gynecologic diseases. And this is something that can be done um, with family medicine and outpatient internal medicine or at the ob office. So the role of the provider um, is really to counsel and educate your patients. And with uh, with that education and counseling, make sure that it's age appropriate. So you're going to be seeing patients um, from their teens all the way potentially even to the hundreds. So you want to make sure that what you're focusing on is relevant to um, whatever might be risks um, at that age or whatever they'll be going through. So you'll also be completing, you know, screenings, um, evaluations and counseling and immunizations as needed. Immunizations can also be done through pediatrician or regular family doctor, but uh, it's also something that can be done through their gynecologist. So one of those that's kind of more likely to be done would be uh, HPV vaccination, something that also can be done by a pediatrician since it's recommended between age nine and 26, but also something that can be offered and should be checked to see if the patient has by the gynecologist. So just like any other visit, you start off and you're with taking a history. Um, So we'll be taking, you know, a comprehensive history, uh, especially at the first appointment to make sure you get everything. But ask about any symptoms they may be experiencing. Usually the well woman visit is going to be just the annual. It's not when they're presenting with a complaint, but you still want to ask these questions because sometimes uh, the patient might not feel comfortable uh, talking about it or not realize that it's something that needs to be addressed. So questions about, you know, any discharge, irritation, um, dyspareunia or pain with intercourse, um, any intermenstrual bleeding or bleeding between um, the regular menses. And you also want to ask about um, their menses. Is it regular? When was their last menstrual period? What's the flow like? Um, How heavy is it? Do they experience uh, symptoms of uh, PMS or premenstrual syndrome? Uh, Those things are all really, really important because while there is a normal for menses, it's also normal for each person. So what's normal for me isn't the same as what's normal for you or for any other person. So by getting that history and making sure that's asked at every visit, you can really uh, pin down if something becomes abnormal and there's any abnormal bleeding that's occurring. And then you also want to ask about any urinary incontinence, um, increased uh, urinary frequency, or any pain with urination or dysuria. Some, these are all things that, you know, might not be 
debilitating or affecting their daily life very much. So it's not something that they think about. But if you ask, it could be something that comes up as something that needs to be addressed. Um, Mm -hmm. For perimenopausal women, so perimenopause is the period of time before menopause occurs. And you're going to want to ask about symptoms that they're experiencing. Um, Is their period regular, irregular, and uh, questions like that. So we'll be doing another talk later about, you know, menopause, what's normal, what's not normal. That's something that is a huge education point that you can provide your patients um, so that they know what to expect a lot of women get that information from their friends, their family, from the, or from the internet, but it's really important as their provider to give them that information even before they need it, just so they can recognize it and uh, understand what they're going through. Mm-hmm. It's also important when you're asking about, you know, a perimenopausal woman's period, um, they might have already been through menopause and then start bleeding again and think, oh, this is my period, but really it's irregular bleeding that needs to be you know, looked into further. So uh, definitely an important part of the history to obtain from that type of population. Absolutely. So you're also going to want to assess any personal risk factors for that patient or any risk factors associated with their family history, because this is all going to affect things, um, their risk for certain diseases, certain cancers, whether it's uh, fam- something that's genetic, something that maybe we don't understand the cause or what causes this uh, illness, but it's something that tends to run in families just so that we know what to look out for um, by understanding what our patients are at risk for and kind of really tailoring it to them individually and personalizing it. We're able to provide education on warning signs, on things to look for uh, that can really help them as uh, if anything comes up or anything happens. Yeah, and I think, you know, if someone has a family history of early onset breast cancer, for example, you know, in their 30s or 40s, you might suggest them getting getting mammograms earlier on than you normally would or even MRIs to screen. So it definitely changes um, our cancer screening depending on family history. Yeah, definitely. And it's important to know those, those ages too, because like you said, a lot of it could be Um, The recommendation is to do it a certain number of years before whatever the youngest age of a family member that was diagnosed with this um, illness was. So all of these things are really important in providing the best care for this particular patient. Um, You're also going to want to counsel and educate them on uh, the effects of their lifestyle choices. So things like smoking. When we think of smoking, I think the most common thing uh, we think about is lung cancer. Um, and that that's what the risk is for. But smoking is also a risk factor in a lot of gynecological uh, cancers as well. So cervical cancer, uh, one of the main risk factors besides HPV is smoking. So smoking really does um, increase uh, your risk and susceptibility for a lot of different cancers. So by talking with our patients, educating them, I'm going to say education a lot. I just, I think it's such an important aspect and, uh, we don't always have um, as much time with our patients as we'd like, which is why getting these detailed histories is so important. So you can make sure that what you're educating them on is what pertains to them now and something that's going to really be beneficial for them. Um, you're also 
something uh, that you'll need to do in more depth than you would in normal H&P is going to be taking a sexual history. So it looks a little bit different um, in gynecology. You're going to be go a little bit more in depth. So I know when we're taught in school how to do an H&P, we ask, you know, are you sexually active? How many partners? Do you have um, sex with men, women, or both? And uh, do you use protection? And I know I always ask, uh, do you feel safe um, in your relationships? Or have you ever felt unsafe before? Um, sort of a way to screen for that um, intimate partner violence or any history of um, abuse or trauma. Um, obviously, in a gynecological appointment, you're going to be a lot more detailed in that. And, you know, you're going to want to ask, okay, what was the age of the first time that you had intercourse um, and really delve into that history with them? Not every visit, just that first one that you do with them, but it's something that is really important. And since it's a topic that is a little more personal and more private, uh, it can be for some women um, difficult to discuss. So you really want to make sure that you are explaining to your patient, you know, why you're asking these questions. Um, it can really help them to understand why they need to uh, give the information because if they understand, you know, oh, certain things can put you at risk of this or you want to check for this, um, it makes them a little bit more comfortable with you because uh, it is a very, you know, personal topic. And if you, you have to get that information on the very first visit, you haven't had as much time to build that relationship yet. Yeah, it's important to build that kind of patient rapport uh, before delving into the more sensitive topics. You probably won't ask this question right when you walk in the room. <laughs> yeah, that would that'd be a little bit uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But just start, you know, as you get through. And um, I think, especially in these types of visits, the most important thing to remember is to make sure that your patient's comfortable, uh, make sure that they feel safe um, and that they're, you know, not uncomfortable um, with questions that you're asking. You can even ask, you know, oh, I can, is that, is this topic, you know, not something you're comfortable discussing and you can say, oh, um, you know, is there a reason that you'd like to share as to why so that we can kind of figure that out? Because um, in order to provide the best care for our patients, they have to be able to tell us everything um, and be completely open and honest with us. And that's kind of what we expect from our patients, just as they from us ex are expecting that we will be confidential and that we are going to not ask questions that we don't need the answers to, but always keep their best interests at heart. Absolutely. Um, so another thing that is an important part of a well woman visit, and I think something that kind of gets skipped over, at least in my well woman visits, it has um, is a discussion of your reproductive life plan. Um, so what this, what your reproductive life plan is basically is, you know, are you, do you want to have kids? Are you planning on that sometime in the future? Is it something that you're looking for uh, in the next couple years, in the next 10 years? Um, and what that kind of looks like. And this kind of then leads into uh, contraception and talking about, you know, what type of contraception you want to use, how compliant a patient would be. So if it's something where, you know, maybe they have a hard time remembering to take a pill every day, you wouldn't want to put them on an, um, you know, oral hormonal contraception because they might not be able to remember that. For them, it might be something better to do, um, like, a patch or um, an intrauterine device or something that's more long-term. We're also gonna be looking at uh, future fertility. So discussing 
fertility with their patients so that they can understand um, what the risks are, how, it, how fertility works even, so that they uh, have a better understanding of that and can really take control over their reproductive um, future. And then this is, uh, we've talked about this earlier about um, how an OB, you know, preconception care is important, but that's something that you can start um, even in a well woman visit is, you know, oh, so when you are thinking of getting pregnant or planning to, you know, take that step, here's some things that you would want to make, uh, keep an eye out for that you would want to do. I think it's about 50% of pregnancies in the U.S. are unplanned. So a lot a lot of women don't have the opportunity to come in for preconception counseling because they weren't planning on um, becoming pregnant. So by providing that counseling um, and making that education a part of the annual visit, uh, we're able to make sure that they can have that information for when they do need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that kind of goes hand in hand with um, the discussion of contraception as well. I know that a um, OBGYN that I used to scribe for you know, she'd ask, oh, are you using condoms? Are you using them consistently? And, you know, women would admit, no, I'm not using them all the time, but I also kind of pay attention to my cycle, you know, a little bit more vague with their contraception plan, which is totally fine. But um, the way that she would put it is, if you, um, you know, if you're not using condoms consistently, I suggest you use uh, a prenatal vitamin you know, in case you get pregnant. So it's kind of in one way, if they are interested in getting pregnant, then that's fine. You know, you're telling them, you know, get on a prenatal vitamin now, but it also kind of alerts the patient that if they're not planning on getting pregnant, maybe I should think about a different contraception plan, you know, getting on a pill, getting an IUD, that kind of thing uh, to help with compliance. That's a really good way to do that. I like that. I would definitely, if I was hearing that, probably be like, oh, wait, I need to prepare for getting pregnant if I'm not, you know, being consistent with my uh, contraception. Maybe I should do that if I'm not planning on it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So a very polite way. um, Exactly. And it's the, you know, it's the patient's idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's still their decision and it makes them feel like they're coming up with it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So that's kind of like the, uh, history and what you're going to do for your screening and counseling. Um, And then next we have the physical exam. So I think the most important thing to remember is that you must always ask for permission before doing anything to the patient in a physical exam and explain what is going on. Uh, Don't assume that the patient knows what to expect. Um, A lot of women, and this is even culturally, don't talk about these things with um, their family members. So you might think, oh, well, the patient's mom or sister or a female figure in her life probably told her what to expect with a pelvic exam and a pap smear. But what if she has no idea what's going on and you pull out a speculum and what what is that and where is it going? Um, And she might not feel comfortable enough to ask you that question. So Never assume that your patients have that knowledge and make sure that you explain what you're doing, why you're doing it. And um, even if it's, you know, maybe it's their first pap smear or speculum exam. And so, you know, show them what the speculum looks like and take some time to, you know, let them be comfortable with it. Um, And also remember that these exams can sometimes be triggering for some patients. Uh, So always be aware of that and be sensitive um, in those cases. 
So a couple parts to this, we have the breast exam. Um, in 20 to 39 year old women, this is recommended every one to three years. And then at, once you turn 40, it's recommended annually. So you're going to be doing both the visual inspection and a palpation um, just to check for any um, masses, lumps, um, any changes or anything. And usually women will, I feel like for the most part, feel the first ones to tell you as soon as they notice something that something's strange or weird or something has changed. So uh, even with that, though, important to keep this a part of the exam and to do this. Um, and come up with a method, whether it be, I know, uh, for palpation, um, there's the spiral method as you're doing the palpation. And then there's the radial method that you go in a straight line. But whatever it is, come up with something and keep it consistent that you'll always do so that you never miss anything. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And always including those um, axillary lymph nodes as well. Yes, definitely an important part of that exam. And then we also have our pelvic exam. So not all patients are going to need this um, during a well woman visit. Usually if it's, um, if they're having symptoms uh, of something and you want to take, uh, take a check or take a look, you'll do a pelvic exam. If it's part of a pelvic procedure that you're performing, such as an IUD insertion, uh, you'll need to do a pelvic exam. Uh, when patients are pregnant, they'll be doing pelvic exams. And if they have a history of a gynecologic condition, um, and you are monitoring or just uh, checking on things and observing, uh, that's going to be when you're going to want to do it. So uh, you'll do, there's the external exam. So where you're looking um, at the vulva and just kind of the external genitalia. And then the, you're going to look also at the vagina and the cervix. So we'll do a speculum exam and really used to go in and look and visualize the cervix to see if there's um, anything uh if someone's complaining of, you know, any discharge or something like that, you can go in and take a look um, to see what the discharge looks like, collect a sample for a wet mount um, to get that tested. Uh, you, you, that's not something that's done routinely, but if there's symptoms um, present. Um, and then if you need to also do um, an STI panel, sometimes uh, some parts of that are via a blood draw or you can do via urine culture some of it you'll also do via a uh, cervical swab um, and then you, if you need to do a pap smear or the hpv um, testing you'll do that through the speculum exam and we'll be talking a little bit more about that um, the guidelines have recently changed so we'll be discussing both the old guidelines and the new guidelines and what that kind of looks like. Um, but it, uh, it's not something um, that should be done every year uh, in a patient who has um, no history of abnormal pap smear. Um, so don't do it to your patients every year. <laughs> not comfortable. So, uh, and I'm sure your patients will thank you for it. Um, and if they ask for it and they, they, oh, aren't they supposed to do this? You can let them know. It's not routinely, re it's not recommended to do it um, every year. It's at, if, uh, either every three or every five years, depending on the testing. And we'll talk more about that um, in a future episode. I believe in our next episode, actually, we'll be talking yeah. about some of those screenings. Yeah. And I think that that can depend as well, depend as well with, um, you know, the OBGYN or the family medicine doctor, you know, what 
they feel is right. I mean, none of these guidelines are set in stone where you have to follow them. Um, so we'll talk about that a little bit more. Yeah, um, we're also going to be doing a bimanual exam uh, to check the uterus and the ovaries um, and, you know, uh, everything else down in the pelvis where you'll have um, one hand in the vagina and you'll be, you know, um, pushing anteriorly and the, uh, your other hand will be on top of um, the patient's, you know, pelvis and you'll be pushing down with that hand so you can uh, bring it up and feel structures. Uh, you shouldn't normally feel the ovaries so that's not something that's usually felt. Uh, if you do feel them, that's probably something that you want to check out. Um, but just to check and see if anything's weird. And that's also an exam for pelvic inflammatory disease. Uh, this buzzword, the chandelier sign. And that's one where you'll have like cervical motion tenderness and you're doing that patient. They, they call it the chandelier shine because it's so painful that they reach for the chandelier. And because it hurts so much. Um, yeah, but so that's what the biannual exam is. And you'll want to be pushing, you know, as you're pushing and making sure you're using enough pressure. I know some of our classmates, when we were learning how to do this, um, thought that you would, you know, kind of push up one down with the other and then like swap in a circle. So make sure that uh, you have your technique for that as well um, to make sure you're feeling everything you're supposed to. So when do you need a well woman exam and how often should you go? So they recommend actually ACOG recommends that you start seeing a gynecologist uh, between the age of 13 and 15. This is not necessarily because of a worry, worry about sexual activity, um, but just to start building that relationship and to get comfortable. So these early uh, visits um, are mostly going to be a conversation rather than an exam. So talking with the patient, helping to start build that relationship, um, discussing their menses and what a normal menses is like, asking them about their sexual activity. Uh, when you start building that relationship when they're younger, um, it makes it easier when they are, uh, and if, if they haven't already started having sexual activity, um, when they are to be able to talk to you uh, because mm -hmm. they feel comfortable, they trust you. And always remember to ensure confidentiality because especially these patients are going to be brought in by their parents. Um, and you want to make sure that they know anything that they tell you, as long as it's not something that's life-threatening, will be kept um, confidential. And so that they can trust you with that. I know if they are, you know, some of these teenagers who are sexually active don't, wouldn't feel comfortable talking to their pediatrician about these things. So by starting off and, you know, having those um, appointments with the gynecologist at that age, helps kind of set the stage and helps them be more comfortable, ask the questions that they have that maybe they don't feel comfortable discussing with their parents um, because you'd rather that they talk to you, a medical professional about these things than ask their friends or ask the internet because as we all know, that's not always going to be very accurate. <laughs> very true. Yes. Um, so depending on what stage of life your patient is in depends on the focus for your exams and discussions, as we mentioned. So, you know, those younger teens, you're going to be talking, you know, what's a normal period like, um, asking their, about their sexual activity. You're not going to be doing a pelvic exam on them unless it's indicated for symptoms or um, if they're sexually active and there's a concern there. Um, you might do an external genital exam, uh, but otherwise usually no pelvic exam. Um, and then like with postmenopausal women, um, things like 
uh, atrophic vaginitis and vaginal dryness, um, just atrophy of the tissues and these things that are common that occur with the lack of estrogen um, or the decrease in estrogen after menopause and educating them on this and things that they're going to be more susceptible to, like, like in sclerosis or, um, being aware of abnormal uterine bleeding. So any bleeding that happens after menopause should be, uh, the patient should come in, um, as soon as they can to get the, uh, worked up and figure out what's going on because in a postmenopausal woman, she shouldn't be having any uterine bleeding anymore. So it's most likely to be, there's, there's a cause of it. We've got to figure out what it is though. So, um, mm-hmm. just educating your patients on these things. Um, things like prolapse as well and incontinence and these things that are common that occur um, and making sure that, you know, you discuss them. So a lot of these things we're able to help out as um, medical providers, whether it be through medication, through surgery, uh, through lifestyle changes, things like that. But if our patients are thinking, oh, well, this is normal, this is supposed to happen, I just have to live with it and don't come in to talk about it we're not able to help them. So important to let them know what to look out for, what we can help with so that we can ensure that they have the best quality of life. And you should always, for the Well Woman visit, do an annual follow-up. So come in every year and you're not gonna need to do the screenings or the exams at every visit, um, but it's important to have that uh, annual follow-up to make sure that everything's going well. And then Another important thing is that um, some women can be uncomfortable talking about different topics or with certain parts of the physical exam. So always make sure to discuss the process and procedure with your patient, explain what's going to happen, make sure that they're comfortable. Um, And as we mentioned earlier, don't assume that she knows what's part of the exam or what the exam entails. Um, And as a patient, um, you should ask the provider um, with whatever questions that you have, uh, providers think it's important to really make sure that you're not judgmental or that that's not coming. You're not portraying that to your patients because you want them to be able to tell you everything and anything. And for them to know that that doesn't change anything for you. And it's just being used for medical, um, for their medical care. Um, and patients can also ask for a chaperone to be in the room if they like. Usually if it's a male provider, uh, they'll have a chaperone in the room anyways. But um, And you can let your patients know that too. Let them know to ask you whatever questions they have, whatever it's about. Um, let them know that they can ask for a chaperone. Um, and let them know that they can ask to stop the exam at any time. And I think that's really important too. Sometimes um, maybe a certain part of it is triggering or uncomfortable or they don't uh, makes them feel unsafe, uh, that they can ask at that point to stop. And they doesn't matter where you are in the exam, to, that you will respect that um, so that they can feel safe. Um, and then right now with COVID, uh, if you're having a visit via telehealth, um, there's an infographic on ACOG.org, and we'll link that in the show notes, that has 10 telehealth tips for an OB-GYN visit. So doing an OB-GYN visit uh, via telehealth is a little bit different. And with everything going on right now, it's definitely very prevalent. So there's some tips that they have uh, about how to make the most of that appointment. And Shelby, I don't know if you want to discuss some of those ways that we can make these um, appointments more comfortable for our patients. Yeah, um, this is something that I've been thinking about the past year. Um, You know, even if 
uh, your annual women's visit is like a taboo topic in your family. I feel like most women, we kind of commiserate over this experience. Usually it's not something women look forward to. And I think there's ways that as providers, we can improve uh, the way that we set up these visits where they're not so dreaded. <laughs> um, you know, if, if there's a way uh, where your practice could maybe have regular gowns instead of the paper gowns, I'm sure there must be a reason that we use these very awkward boxy paper gowns. But I think about that a lot. You know, why don't we use, you know, like the hospital, um, you know, sheets or something to make it a little bit less you know, weird, um, ensuring that your patient isn't waiting for a long time once they've undressed, um, because I'm sure uh, Cassie and I have probably experienced this where, oh yeah, you know, understandably so, the doctor is very busy and running behind, but if you leave a patient, you know, in the room, uh, you know, just in a little paper gown for half an hour, 45 minutes, that's that's pretty uncomfortable and um, unfortunately can make your relationship with them not as easy. You know, they might be a little bit irritable by the time that you come in. Um, and also on that, I'm, oh yeah, uh, first. Um, on that note, uh, if it's possible, and I obviously not possible in every practice, but if it's possible for you to go in and talk to the patient clothed first and discuss with them and then step out and have them change in the gown for the part of the physical exam, um, I think that that also helps a lot because there's that kind of disconnect of the patient being in a gown and the doctor being in their white coat or professional attire, whatever it is, and having to talk with them. But by coming in and meeting them first, um, even if it's a repeat patient, someone that you've been seeing for a while, but talking to them first um, when they're fully clothed, um, I think is really important and just helps kind of not necessarily like for their dignity, but just um, respect, I think, for the patient. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it makes it feel less like an interrogation, <laughs> I mm -hmm. think. Um, and, you know, uh, even if you're given, say, 20 minutes to do a well woman exam, you know, to see a patient in that period of time, if you spend even like four to five minutes with them when they're clothed, step out, have them undress and everything, I think kind of coming into the room twice makes a patient, you know, perceive that you're spending a lot of time with them. So that's a really good point, Cassie. Um, and, and even just little things like having a place, you know, like a hook on the wall where they can hang their clothing or even a hanger so they don't feel like they're just tossing their stuff onto a chair in the corner of the room. Um, that can make a difference. I also find it interesting there are some companies that are, um, you know, trying to recreate, uh, you know, stirrups or the speculum model. Uh, there's this company that I've researched a little bit. Um, it's called Yona Care. And um, they're trying to move away from that duckbill speculum, you know, that clicks when it opens and everything. So, um, you know, they're, I don't think it's come out yet, but they're looking into, you know, how can we make the speculum quieter? How can we make it less, you know, where it has uncomfortable edges to it? Um, you know, it's little things that I think as physicians uh, we'll do better by even just thinking about these things, you know, how can we improve an exam that's been done for, you know, decades or centuries or whatever. Uh, we can always do better to make our patients more comfortable. 
Yeah. And especially with these exams being, you know, patients are so exposed um, in these and, you know, you're sitting there and speculum exams, pelvic exams, whatever it is, uh, it's uncomfortable no matter how you do it. So everything that we can do to um, make it more comfortable for our patients, I think uh, every little thing count really, really counts. Absolutely. Well, thanks for uh, kind of going through the process of a well women exam. I think, um, you know, our pre-medical and medical students, I think it's good to have this background before you go on your family medicine rotation or your OB-GYN rotation so you know what to expect. And then for any other listeners we may have that aren't in medicine, um, you know, it's good to know what to expect or maybe you learned about something that you you didn't realize that your uh, OB-GYN should be asking you. So you can call them out on it. <laughs> I know I've, I've done that a time or two myself. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but just the more knowledge we have, the more you can educate, you can share it, you know, with your friends, your family. Um, very important. Um, so Shelby, I know next week you're going to be teaching us more about the uh, screening exams that are done at these well woman visits. So, you know, we talked about pap smears and mammograms and all of that. You're going to be teaching us about that. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, so tune in next week. Thanks for joining us this week, and we'll talk to you soon. We are third-year medical students at Torrey University of Nevada College of Osteopathic Medicine, and we are student members of ACOG, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, and ACUG, the American College of Osteopathic Obstetricians and Gynecologists. The views expressed in this episode are not representative of any of these organizations, and this podcast is not affiliated or associated with any of these organizations.